Court, how are you? Good. Bought a new snowblower this week. About a month too late, but that's okay. I, uh, it's still early enough, and I'm still new enough that I enjoy doing the snowblower. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little... <laughs> Russ was telling me, give it a couple weeks. It'll be a whole different experience. So. We had about six inches at our house by the time I left. I don't know how everybody else was. No, now we're down in South Inc. Um No, not up the hill. I'm at the base. Lake Otis. Between O'Malley and Huffman. So, yeah, up the hill, I think they're really getting dumped on right now. So... Nope. And uh, as a reminder, I know y'all know this, but just keep an eye for, as we have this weather, you know, always check your email or text messages, because if we need to make some changes, we'll try to get those out ahead of time, but we want everybody to be safe. Last thing I want is for somebody to feel like they have to get out in the weather. If that's not safe, you can watch online. I don't, I don't usually encourage people not to be here, but for safety, that's a, that's a reasonable reason to consider that, so. I hope that's okay. I said that, Tony. <laughs> A few more wandering in. All right, Bernita's here. We can get started. All right. Michael, you good? <laughs> oh, what's Pat? Okay. Let's open with a word of prayer. Loving Father, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to get together and spend time in your word this morning. Lord, with the weather being the way that it is, we ask for safety for those that are traveling, for those that are coming in this morning to hear as we leave and go home. We ask for those that are struggling, whether it be with finding a place to live or because of hardships that this snow creates in their jobs or in their lives. We ask for your blessings upon them. And we ask any time we see these sorts of trials that we use them as opportunities to glorify your name and how that we interact with others and serve you. As we spend time in your word this morning, please bless our time of study. Please speak to us through your word and help our hearts to be receptive to what you have to say. Help us to put our own motives and ideas aside so that you can be the voice that we hear this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be finishing out in Joshua. We've skipped ahead to Joshua 24 and be uh, introducing judges. So as a reminder, um, Emily and I will be traveling starting Thursday. So I'm here Wednesday, but next Sunday I will be out. And I'm still seeking somebody to fill in one week. Now, you may say, Stephen, why don't you ask so-and-so? And I know there's a couple people that will always do it. But here's, here's what I'm really pushing. There are some of us who kind of need to stretch our comfort zones just a little, and doing one Sunday morning Bible class is a good way to do that. And so I'll tell you, Tony would do it in a heartbeat. I could ask Tony, and he would do it, and I've told him, not yet. Because I don't want to just, oh, somebody's out, Tony does it. We have men in this congregation that can step up and do a lesson. Um, Next week's lesson is going to be on Gideon. I can get you the verses, I can get you some ideas, some lesson points if you're not comfortable with that, or you can teach your own thing, but I'm really wanting some men to think about, can I spend a week 
and prepare a 30-minute lesson. Not an hour lesson, not a 45-minute lesson, 30-minute lesson. And if you have 30 minutes worth of material, I look around this room and know there's a couple people that can help you through it. Liz, you'd help somebody get through a 30-minute lesson, wouldn't you, by making a few comments? You would. I know Tony would make a comment or two. Bob's here, he'd make a comment. So you can make it through. Um, so I want a few men to really think about, could you do this one lesson? Um, and again, I have two or three that I know I can call, and they will do it. But I'm wanting this to be an opportunity for someone to say, you know, I've not done this, or it's a little uncomfortable for me, but I'm going to try it. Um, So um, just think about it. There's a few people in this room that could do it. So, um, all right. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. I was telling a few people earlier, for those that weren't in here, I bought a new snowblower this week, and it's still early enough that it's a toy. It's fun. Uh, but I bet if I ask Scott, it's not fun after a while, is it, Scott? It gets to be a job, doesn't it? That's what Russ told me. I used it twice this morning. I don't know about y'all. Without a 5.30, blew a spot, and then it snowed three more inches. I went out again. So my neighbors probably love me. All right, Joshua 24. So what we have here is we're drawing to the end of Joshua's life. The children of Israel have kind of been delivered into the land. But God is now setting up what we might call the disbursement within the land. Certain tribes have certain areas. And so he's saying this tribe gets this area and these people. And the problem is, as we know, where they're going, there's people already living there. So God has given them instructions about what he expects them to do. But as Joshua's life is drawing to an end, his time in leading uh, the children of Israel is drawing to an end, God calls them together. He says, Joshua, get all the people together, and this is what I want to tell this is what I want you to tell them. And then in, in chapter twenty-four, he goes through this summary as you read through it in the first um, thirteen verses. Okay? And it's God going all the way back to when he called Abram. And he said, I called Abram from this place, and he goes through Abram and Isaac, and Jacob, and Esau, and the children of Israel, and going into Egypt, and delivering from Egypt, and the Red Sea, and the plagues, and he brings them all the way to cross, he just does this summary, I am the God who did this, the God who did this, the God who did this, and he brings them through 500 plus years, almost 600 years of summary, to the point that they're setting at right now, um, And a couple of things jump out to me when I think about God calling the people together and having Joshua give them them this this summary. And the first thing is, and I've used this point a couple of times, but as a Christian, it is one of the most important points that we'll make. God is faithful. God promised, he says, "I, I called Abram beyond the river. You know, your father lived beyond the Euphrates terror, the father of Abraham and the Nahor. I called him... 600 years ago, and I told him I'm going to do this. I'm going to deliver him the promised land. And here we are, the promised land. And what a great comfort that is to me, and I hope you, to see God did exactly, exactly what he said he was going to do. So as you think about that, what does that mean to you as a Christian? What does that teach you as a Christian? What does that reassure you as a Christian when you think about what God is telling the Israelites here? Yeah, you can always count on God. God said, I'm going to do it. 
Did the Israelites cooperate? Well, not always. Did the, was the weather good? No. Remember the famine? Well, did every other nation get out of the way? No. They had to be defeated. They had to be, was there sin involved? There was sin. Were, the, were there leaders that met? The leaders messed up. But it didn't matter. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. What else? And what does that mean to you? I mean, so what? God said he did what he was going to do. So what, Tony? Yeah. His promises are always good. They always come through. He is faithful to those promises. God is consistent. And as we think about children of God, he's promised us stuff. And just as he did to the Israelites, that's what he's going to do to us. What else? David? Yeah, so what, what types of promises has he made to you, David? What type of promise do you have from God? What type of promise do you have from God? That he will come back together. Yeah, yeah. Right, so David's going through that. He said God is a God of promises, and he's faithful as children of God. And those type of things. He's going to be with us and protect us. He's going to come back, right? There are promises God has made. What else? I want to flip it just a little. You ever been frustrated because you asked for something from God or you're waiting on God and it didn't occur in the time frame you wanted? You know the old saying, God, I want patience and I want it right now, right? I, uh, I used to jokingly say I used to pray for patience because I did. And God gave me Jessica, our oldest daughter, and I quit praying for patience because I learned a lot of lessons from my oldest daughter being her dad, right? Because I want things right now. I'm a microwave person, right? Homemade to me means it can pop out of a box. If you open the box at home, it's homemade, right? To my mom, it means the ingredients go together and she bakes it at home, right? If I buy it at the store, bring it home and open it at home, I made it at home, right? I opened the package at home. So, Do you think when Abram when God, not Abraham, just go all the way back to Abram. Do you think when God made this promise to Abram that he thought it was going to be 600 years before it came about? No. Do you think that Isaac and Jacob, do you think that when Joseph went down to Egypt, do you think that when they left Egypt it was going to be how many years because they spent 40 plus years? Do you think they thought that was the timeline? But God had a timeline. Now, did, did God mess up? Man, I wanted to do it in 20 years, but it took 600. No. I wanted to do it in 100 years, but it took 600. Now, God did adjust his timeline, right? He added 40 years to it as a punishment for sin. But God knew it was going to be centuries before that came about. So God is faithful, but he's faithful on his timeline. And that's a tough one for me. Tony said the reason it took 600 years was the patience of God, the Amalekites, and the mercy of God. You know, 
with what happened with the spies and with what happened with the rejection for water, God could have wiped the people out, right? He, in fact, he said, I'm going to wipe them from the face of the earth, and Moses, I'm going to start back with you. But the, but the, the mercy of God's, uh, God's mercy, when, when uh, Moses asked on their behalf, he spared them. He could have taken a thousand years. He could have wiped them out, started a new people, got in a million people 500 years later. Or he could have gotten them there quicker. It does illustrate the patience of God and the mercy of God. And when you look at all of that, there's a lot of things going on that Abram never knew. That Moses, whoop, I think you hit the lights on us. Perfect. That's okay. Court, if you wanted me to sit down, you could have just asked. You didn't have to turn the lights out. Um, but I, I think about that, that timeline, and so there's no timeline to God's faithfulness. Because, see, I sit around and wonder, and I've prayed for it, you know, God come quickly. Why hasn't God come back a second time? Why hasn't he already returned, Liz? Well, you know, it's just like that for us today. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, so Liz said, you know, it's his will that none of us should perish. And it gets back, it's the patience of God. God is wanting people to come to repentance. He's, he's given us a second chance. And your mom used to say, it may not come when you want it, but it'll come right on time. I like that. Yeah. So God has a timeline. And his faithfulness is not on my timeline. And I'll just tell you, that is a frustration for me. Now, please don't think that I get mad at God because of that. That's the human side of me that wants it right now. If I pray for healing, why isn't that person getting up out of the bed, pulling out their IV, and walking out of the hospital, right? If I pray for some sort of, you know, Paul's thorn in his side. You think it was a frustration for him? Yes. When you read that, sometimes we're like, oh, Paul never had a problem because he knew it was a thorn in the side and he waited on God. You read through the frustration he had, but he submitted to God. It wasn't like Paul went, well, this is a thorn in my side, God, but that's fine, God, I'll take it. He wanted it gone. But he knew God had his timeline and his reason. Well, the faithfulness of God sees no timeline. And that's, once again, that's reassuring to me because when I don't see the answer, if I'm not careful, I could be Moses who never got to see the promised land. Right? But the promised land was still there. It's just God had his own timeline. Scott. Elizabeth and Zachariah praying for John the Baptist. Yes. And and she was I hope nobody she was an old woman when she had a baby. Abram and Sarah. You know, I joke, the story Abram and Sarah, people get up, you know, why did she laugh? I'm telling you right now. You tell my wife at ninety she's gonna have a baby. There's gonna be laughing, crying, there's gonna be a lot of emotions that come out, right? It's not gonna be it's not gonna be celebratory. Right? So, yeah, but they, it was God's timeline. But don't you think at some point they thought, it's not going to be, it's not going to be, it's not going to be. And sometimes it's not going to be, but it was God's timeline. You know, I, again, I pray that God will come quickly. 
that may, God may not come for another million years. He may come in a, in a minute. But God has a timeline that I don't see, right? Because God knows what's going on. His patience, as Liz put it, as Tony put it, his patience is he's got his timeline to accomplish his will. And there's things going on that can alter that timeline. And God is reacting to that, patient that all would be saved. The other thing, when, you, when, um, when Joshua is talking to the people in verse 13, uh, God says through Joshua, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruits of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Isn't that really neat? I mean, these people literally walked into a city, defeated the people, sat down at their table, and had their dinner. I mean, that's, they got to harvest the vineyards they didn't plant. They got to harvest the crops they didn't plant. They got to live in cities fortified with walls they didn't build, live in homes that they didn't build. But isn't that really the epitome of what God does for us? Doesn't God bless us beyond what we deserve? Now, again, this is a real struggle for a lot of people because most of us in our lives think about what we've worked for, right? Because was going to med school easy, Bob? I remember going to med school. I wouldn't do it again. When I went to med school, I didn't know what I was getting into, and ignorance is bliss, right? But knowing what I, I wouldn't do that four years again. I wouldn't do six years of residency and fellowship again. 109 hours a week awake in the hospital. That was what I averaged. I wouldn't do that again. But I worked for it. I earned it. Really? And you may say, well, God gave me the energy. Let's go back a step further. What did you do to be born in this country? Because 99% of the population of the world will never have a chance to go to med school or college or high school. Well, about 96%. So what did you do to earn the right to be born in this country or to live in this country? What did you do to earn your parents? You may not have had good parents, but most of us, our statute in life is because our parents put us on our way. You know, they made me work for everything. Really? Really? Did they? Because, see, God put me in this country. God gave me my uh, family. God gave me my ability. God gave me my body. Okay? But I earned it. No, what I did is I tried to use what God gave me. My mom started when I was five years old, and we would talk about, what do you want to be? I had three older brothers. What do you want to be when you grow up? And her response wasn't, you need to be a doctor or a lawyer. Her response was always, you just need to make sure you're using what God has blessed you with. That was always her response, whatever you went into, right? But did I really choose my parents? No. Did I choose my country that has freedom? Did I choose a place that allows me to have education? But if I'm not careful, look what I've done in my life. Yeah, God's blessed me, but I had to work for it. Baloney. I had to use what God gave me, but without what God gave me, I would be the starving person in whatever country you want to choose in the world or the person who's begging on the corner, right? Because if you were born in certain places, no matter how, you could be the smartest person to ever live, the best athlete to ever live, and you will be begging on the street corner if you're born in the wrong place and you had nothing to do with where you were born. God's telling the children of Israel, you're about to go somewhere and you're inheriting something that you don't deserve, that you didn't build, but I'm giving it to you. Sound familiar? Because we've got some place coming that we're going to get, right? In John chapter 14, Jesus talks about some place that God's making for us. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, right? 
Now, if you have an incorrect translation, it'll say mansions. We won't go down that pathway. Jesus never said mansions. He didn't use the word mansion. There was no such word for mansion at the time. So just understand that. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms, and that goes along with the Jewish way of building, right? You would build a room onto your father's house. So we have to get away from mansions. That never existed. But anyway, God has prepared a place for us that we didn't build, and we're going to sit down and have a promised land that we didn't earn, and we're going to have a feast that we didn't make, and we're going to harvest. You know, the, the, the glory of heaven is that I didn't build it because it would be terrible if I did. I didn't earn it because it would be terrible if it was reflected by what I earned, right? God has done for us the same thing that he's done for the people here. I've got something waiting for you that you didn't earn, but man, it's pretty neat. It's pretty awesome. The other thing I think, um, God kind of does this summary here, these 14 verses, a few minutes. And I think it shows us the value in times, this is the lesson I wrote, in times of sitting down and thinking, what has God done for me? See, in my life, and I don't mean from a gratefulness standpoint, there's a value there. But in my life, when I'm struggling with temptation, when I'm struggling with relationships, when my motivation to be here on a Sunday or a Wednesday, or my motivation to spend my few minutes a day in the Lord's Word, or my motivation to come to something or do something is weak, and yes, for all of us that happens. You know, one of the things that benefits me, you remember the song, Count Your Many Blessings? You know, that really makes a difference in my life. Not just God gave me his son. That is a huge blessing, and I don't want to undermine that. But sometimes when I sit down and think about my life and what I've gone through, when I think about what God has forgiven me of, when I think about what God has blessed me with, it changes my whole view. My whole view about why do I want to be here on a Sunday morning? Not why do I have to be here on a Sunday morning? And God spends some time here saying, hey, let's just summarize this. Look at what I've done for you and your pe- the people before you, and look what I'm doing for you. And there's value in that. There's value in us coming together as a group and singing songs that remind us that. There's value in our prayers and thanking God for the things he's done for us. There's value in the Lord's Supper and communing together and thinking about what God has done for us. There's value in that. God knew the value of going through that uh, and what it would do for his people. And like most people, it lasts about like we think it would for his people. We'll get into that when we talk about the judges. Any questions or comments? Court? The sundials, I like that, yeah. course talking about you know you think about my frustration his frustration the apostle paul was the example we used the disciples and the example he used was you know in the 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 apostles literally thought in acts jesus is coming back like today tomorrow he was here he went away he's going to go away for a few weeks maybe a few months 
well, it's been a couple years. I mean, he's coming back in. And that frustration and, and his answer to Paul is what you quoted. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And how that's supposed to be enough force and, and reassure us. And again, I think sometimes if we have a hard time with that, start thinking about what God's grace has done for us. Start to list those blessings. Start to list that forgiveness. Start to list that, those, those stations in life that we didn't earn. And it does make us think, hmm, his grace is sufficient. It really did get me where I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other comments? Some of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I have several. Joshua chapter 24. Many of you, I've, I've seen people that may post this in their house, you know, um, little sayings or verses. In verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served before the river, uh, beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, this is a great verse right here, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in those in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a great statement. Joshua is making a declaration. And remember, he's at the point of death. He's got a few, I don't know, hours, maybe a couple days left. So when he's talking about himself, his kids, his grandkids, his generation, his house means more than him and his wife at this point. And he says, as for me and my, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, I'm going to make a stand. I'm going to make a declaration. I'm going to make sure it's known. And he doesn't just make this declaration. Joshua has spent a lifetime preparing his house to be that way. And what we see is the people of Israel, the entire house of the Lord, served the Lord while Joshua was leading them. In fact, it says, while his sons were still in charge, they continued to serve the Lord. Joshua spent a lifetime preparing his house. So that when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, it wasn't a question. It wasn't a statement of, I'm not sure. Is it a statement of, we've done it, and I've prepared them to do it moving forward. And what a great statement that is. The lesson there, following God is a choice. Period. It is a choice. And it is a choice that we don't make once. And I think that is a mistake we sometimes portray. Are you going to choose to follow Jesus? That's a great choice. But tomorrow, you've got to make that same choice. And next week, you've got to make that same choice. And next month, you've got to make that same choice. And in a year, you have to make that same choice. Because if you do not daily make that choice, the choice will be made for you. In fact, no choice is a choice, right? It is not, I'm going to follow God. You know, what's the, um, my husband never tells me he loves me. Well, I told you the day I married you, I love you. If that ever changes, I'll tell you, right? No, nope, it's not the way it works with God. God, I told you I'm going to follow you. And if that ever changes, I'll tell you. Nope. Every day, we get to make a choice. Today, I'm going to go down pathway A, which is following God, or any other choice or no choice means I'm not following God. That's it. There is no in-between. There is no, I'm kind of following God. Well, I'll sort of choose. We either make a conscious decision, I'm following God, or we're not. No choice is a choice, right? And following God is a choice. And Joshua says, you need to make a decision today. 
Make that choice. And it may not be God, but if so, I'm done with you. But as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. Following God is a choice. Questions or comments? Anybody have that in their house? I've seen somebody, I've been to somebody's house here that has that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I see one in the back, yeah. It's a very common, uh, it's a good reminder. Uh, I love those verses. That and the verses about Job we talked about last Sunday. Those are some of my favorite ones. All right, Joshua passes away twice. Not really. But Joshua 24, he passes away. Then when we start Judges, we see it again in Judges chapter 2. He did not resurrect and repass away. We're just overlapping the storytelling there. Uh, He's 110 years old. And there's a statement made um, in verse 31. And I referenced it a minute ago. Joshua 24, verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. You know, godly leaders produce godly people. Do you really think that two, three million people would have all served the Lord without a godly leader? No. In fact, we're going to see what happens when they don't have godly leaders, right? But that's a pretty powerful statement. Israel, the entire time Joshua led them. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't sin, right? We know the sin of Achan. We know other things that occurred. The entire time that Joshua led them, Israel served the Lord. And he left a generation in charge that continued to lead Israel to the Lord. It wasn't until the next generation that things started to change. Um, But the lesson there is godly leaders help others follow God. In fact, I... um, I've tried to ask myself a question in everything that I do now. Everything that I do in, in my decisions in life, I'm either helping people get closer to God or I'm not. There, there is no, well, yeah, you say, well, what about when you sleep? Okay, let's not get absurd here. But I'm talking about in my life, every decision I make, every example I give, every lesson I teach, every conversation I have, right, I either need to make a decision. I'm helping people get closer to God or I'm helping them get to hell. There is no gray area in between. Well, I sort of want them to do... Nope. Either my life leads people to God or it doesn't. And Joshua made a decision. And he helped two to three million people follow God. Godly leaders lead people to God, so the opposite is true. Ungodly leaders, unfortunately, lead them away from God. You want to destroy an organization, put in a bad leader. You want to destroy a church, put in a bad elder. Ungodly leaders lead them away. That brings us to the close of Joshua. Before we get into Judges, any questions or comments? Yes, sir. 26. Oh, under the... uh, When he wrote, wrote in the Book of Law... What is a terebinth? Uh, I think I think Joshua finished off the Pentateuch, finished off the books of uh, uh, through Joshua. I think Joshua wrote uh, finished off after uh, Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, book of the law. Mine does too. Book of the law of God. Uh, 
It occurs in Nehemiah 8, where it's the book that they read from. And it was called the Book of the Law of Moses and the Book of the Law. Let me see. Anybody have any other? Torah, so, yeah. And we don't know for sure where Moses quit writing and Joshua took over. Uh, it is possible Moses wrote about the story of his own death. People are like, oh, Joshua obviously wrote that because Moses was dead. God could have very easily said, Moses, I want you to write this. This is how you're going to die, right? That would not be uncommon. But at some point, Joshua started writing the book. And it's felt that Joshua wrote the book of Joshua, so the sixth book. Um, so that would be my thought as it's completing that Torah. But I, I don't have enough study on it. If anybody, Scott, I know you've done. Right, so Joshua's outside of that. Yeah. So maybe he finished off what Moses wrote. Tony, do you? Yeah. So that answer your question the best. Yeah. Other questions or comments? All right. What was the Lord's command to the people long before he took them into the promised land? When you get there, what do you have to do? Anybody remember? Right. You you need to be faithful to God, right? What else? So that in t- that means what about the gods that they're worshiping, Tony? Are you supposed to do anything? Yeah. God gives some instructions. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, in the first few verses, and, you talk, and it starts with when the Lord your God brings you into the land and is going to describe all the nations that are going to be there. The Lord's going to give them over to you in verse 2. Then you must devote them to complete destruction. Don't make any promises with them. Okay? Show them no mercy. Don't intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking the daughters for your sons, because they will turn your sons away from me to serve other gods. You shall deal with them and destroy them. You shall break their altars. You shall tear down their idols. They had a command. You destroy everybody there. You get rid of their, their gods, their idols, their temples. Don't let them influence you in who you worship. Don't let them influence you in who you marry. Okay? That was God's command to them. He made it clear. Okay? Because he knew there was going to be a problem if they allowed it. In Judges, we see a cycle. What's the cycle of Judges? Anybody know? They're faithful to God, then what happens? Yeah, they fall away from God. Then what happens? There's no leaders and they fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're faithful to God. Then they lose their faithful leaders. They fall away from God. God sends somebody to punish them, take them into captivity, defeat them. Then they cry out to God. God sends a deliverer or a judge. Okay? That's the cycle in Judges. Why does that cycle occur? Well, the main reason it occurs is because they didn't follow Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
the beginning of Judges, what we see is these people go into the land and they don't drive out the people from the land. They don't destroy the people from the land. They don't destroy their idols. They don't destroy their temples. They don't tear down those things that were built to their gods. God had a reason for giving those instructions, and what were they? Why did he tell them that? Because he wanted to be mean and kill people? Why did God give them those instructions? Mike, I heard. To keep them what? Faithful. But, but why can't they be faithful if they're living among people? Yeah. God knew that, that those people are going to have an influence on them, right? And if you take a spouse, because he talks about sons and daughters both, right, who is worshiping this idol, you're right, you might convert them or they might bring you away from God. If you let this temple stay up in your city, you might ignore it or you might step inside the door or allow it or tolerate it. God knew that if you let the world stay close to your life, you're eventually going to leave me, right? And he said, I don't want that. I want you to be faithful to me. And so we don't allow you to have one foot in the world and one foot over here with God because sooner or later you're doing the splits and you get separated and you can't do both. And guess what? They didn't follow God's commands and they lacked strong leadership and then they start building their idols. We're going to talk about the story of Gideon, or somebody is next week. Anybody remember what the first thing God told Gideon to do? Go down, tear down that idol down there. There's an altar. It needs to go. Wait a minute. These are the children of the Lord. How come they're living in a city with an altar? Because they didn't do what God told them to do. Tear down the altars. Tear down the temples. Get rid of the idols. Don't let the world influence you away from me. Now, do not mistake this verse, okay? I have seen this verse misused in very bad ways, okay? I've seen it used for racism, all right? I've seen it used for a Christian cannot, you know, in, cannot associate or have a relationship with a non-Christian, right? I've seen it used in wars, right? In the history, you can see that. That's uh, not the purpose of this. Remember, this is God's chosen people, we are not Israel. There is no modern-day Israel. There is, America is not modern-day God's chosen people. We are not the same. We don't have prophets that talk to us the same way. We have God's word. So be careful how you apply the exact wording here. But make no mistake about it, the principle is true. And we see it carried over throughout the New Testament. That if you let the world too close to your life, if you let the world too close to your house, and if you don't fight the world back you will be influenced by the world. It is a fact that Judges shows us over and over. It is a fact that our lives, unfortunately, demonstrate, and we see it carried throughout the next 700 years of writings in the Old Testament, and then we see it in the first century as well. Right? We see Paul having to fight that as he writes both Galatians and Ephesians. Right? We see the book of James written, we see the book of Hebrews to try to bring back from some teeth, right? If we stay too close to the world, the world is going to influence us. Now, that doesn't mean we remove ourselves from the world, right? We can't do that. We are here. We're a part of it. But we can be in the world without being associated with the world, without letting the world influence us. That's the story of the failure in Judges. And that's the lesson for us. 
is we have to keep the world at arm's bay, right? Or else the world will influence us. And that is a challenge in our society. It is a challenge. Okay? I'm not going to bash America, but in modern day, we have access to the world like no one ever has before through social media, through entertainment. We stream it into our homes. We let our 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds stream it into their lives with no supervision. And then we wonder why we're having a hard time raising kids. We wonder why our church numbers in certain places are dwindling. Well, it's because we're letting the world dictate the relationship. We're letting the world influence us rather than us influence the world. And he said to the people then, and it applies today, get rid of the world out of your life. Don't let those idols stay around. Don't let those temples stay around. Don't let those relationships stay that shouldn't be there. And that's, that's what we need um, in our world today. And then the cycle... Uh, in Judges, is the first time we see it is in Judges 2.11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, right? What peoples are around them? It should be nobody. But they didn't do what God said. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Asherah. If we let the world into our lives, we eventually will be a part of the world. And then Joshua dies again, not really, but when we're telling the story in, in Judges chapter 2, uh, that's where the summary again of Joshua's life and that he uh, passes away. All right. That's a good stopping point as we think about entering into Judges. Questions or comments about that? Tony? So we are one, Tony's talking about they were great leaders, but they couldn't have been great leaders. I, I would say they were leaders who honored God, but they weren't great leaders. Because if they were great leaders, they would have taught their children. And we are one generation away from apostasy, which means falling away from God. Because at some point, I will not be here, and my daughters, I mean, they're already out on their own, my daughters will either be Christians or not, and I can't influence that anymore. I have very little influence now, right? They're both out of the house. And if I've not done what I needed to up to this point, I can still influence them. But if they, if they take a step back from Christianity compared to me, then likely my grandkids are not going to be Christians, right? So if I don't, ha if I don't raise daughters that are active, involved Christians, hopefully like I am, or even stronger then likely my grandkids won't be Christians, right? And so, in Judges, they were good leaders, except that they weren't good leaders because their kids fell away. And that's what we see over and over and over. And it's a, you know, you could use the story, you could use the story of Judges just to do a parenting class. But that's a separate approach to it, but it is the right, the right concept. Other questions or comments? Anybody else? All right, we can finish a minute or two early. Um, I think you're going to have a class next Sunday. We'll see. We'll see who steps up. There's several in here that could. So, be the story of Gideon.
hopefully, unless they do their own thing. And then I'll be back in two weeks, and we'll be doing Samson. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. Mm-hmm.